how they stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, that would be John, he said to his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her into his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar. They filled a sponge with vinegar, put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell. I'm after your hearts, not your heads, is a refrain often heard by college students in Dr. Mitchell's Bible classes. In his own words, his goal was to help you fall in love with the Savior, and his teachings always tended to fill your mind with the Lord Jesus Christ. He was also a pioneer radio speaker. He was heard live every weekday on radio stations in the Northwest. But by the grace of God, we can still benefit from the ministry and teaching of Dr. John G. Mitchell. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never We continue the study of the Gospel of John, chapter 19, starting at verse 25 with Dr. John G. Mitchell here on the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our study today looks at Jesus on the cross, speaking with Mary, his mother, and the beloved disciple. And here we notice that Jesus does take care of his own. And not only this, but Dr. Mitchell describes here how every scripture prophetically given about Jesus he literally fulfills. And the Apostle John is also an eyewitness of Jesus and his fulfillment of Scripture, as he says in verses 35 and 36. Now, Jesus' words in verse 30, it is finished, meaning paid in full, comprises the complete fulfillment of all that was literally written for him at his first coming, especially here with his death on the cross. And so, how much more? when he comes again for his own, literally. Well, turn with us in your Bible to John chapter 19, verse 25, with Dr. Mitchell. Good day, friends. We welcome you again. And we've been spending quite a bit of time in the study of the gospel through John, this amazing gospel that reveals to us the incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ. We are in the 19th chapter. We have been dealing with our Savior coming before the ecclesiastical court of the Jews, and the issue, remember, was his person, his claims. Then he came before the civil court of Pilate, and the issue there is his character. And then we had the, took the Lord out and crucified him. I suggest sometime, if you want to read about the prophetic side of this, 
that you read Psalm 22, Psalm 69, Isaiah 53, and so on. Uh, there is no description given about the crucifixion except they just they crucified him with a thief on either side of him. Um, who crucified him? In Acts chapter 2, the Jews were accused of crucifying the Lord of glory. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, about verse 8, we have where the apostle Paul said, had they known it, the leaders of this world would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So here we have our Lord in the midst, and by the way, he's always in the midst. He's always the center of attraction wherever you find him. Whether a babe or a lad or a man in his ministry, on the throne of God today, he's the preeminent one. Colossians chapter 1 says, he's exalted to be Lord over all. And then from verses 19 to 22, you have Pilate and the Jewish leaders. Do you remember the writing? The king of the Jews. And by the way, God was behind this. They said, take that off the cross, right? He said he was the king of the Jews. Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. And by the way, may I say that God was behind this. My, how these people hated Christ. How these leaders, religious leaders, hated the Son of God. And yet, they bowed their knee to Caesar. When Pilate says, shall I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar. They bowed their necks to Caesar in preference to the Son of God. But I'll tell you, my friend, he was still the king of the Jews. He was born a king. He lived as a king. He had the power and authority of a king. He died and rose again as a Lord of Lords. And when you come to the last book in the Bible, in Revelation, in chapter 19, he's Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Or as the first chapter of Revelation said, he's the prince of the kings of this world. I'm reminded of the second psalm. Do you remember the second psalm where we have the Father speaks, the Son speaks, the Spirit of God speaks. It divides naturally those three parts. But the Father says to the Son, Ask of me, and I will give thee the nations for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. And that will be accomplished when our Lord comes, reigns over the nations of the earth as King of kings, as Lord of lords. And my friend, that time is not far away. As sure as I'm sitting here talking to you today, we're coming to the end of our dispensation or the age of grace. And the coming of the Lord is near. And the nations are, are being moved around by a sovereign God for the purpose of judgment. And then our Savior will come and reign as Lord of Lords and King of Kings when there'll be no more wars. He will arbitrate between the nations. Peace will be the, will be the order of the day, as you find in, in Isaiah chapter 2, and Micah chapter 4, and many other passages. Now, 23 to 24, we were dealing with the soldiers, uh, fulfilling 22nd Psalm, verses 16 to 18. Uh, they had scourged the Lord, stripped him of his raiment. They'd crowned him with a crown of thorns. They'd mocked him. They had buffeted him. Now they crucified him. And now they're at the foot of the cross in perfect indifference as they gambled over his garments. While the Lord of glory died, they indifferently gambled over his garments. What is your attitude to the Savior? 
Do you stand with these Roman soldiers? Do you stand with these leaders of Israel who crucified the Lord of glory? Or do you stand with the Savior? What is your attitude to him? Do you love him? Do you trust him? Or are you indifferent to him? If I were teaching Matthew or, or Luke's gospel, I would point out, of course, that in Matthew, the centurion said, surely this was the Son of God. In Luke's gospel, he said, truly this was a righteous man. I personally believe that the Lord had opened his heart to the truth concerning our Savior. Now, starting in at verse 25 to 27, and we're still dealing with the crucifixion of our Savior, we have the question of our Lord's earthly mother and John. Mark the Lord's wonderful care for his own, even on a cross, becoming an accursed thing, at the butt of ridicule, cursing and bitterness. He takes the time out to care for his earthly mother. I read, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, that would be John, he said to his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her into his own home, that is, into his own family. Will you please mark it? The Savior didn't call her Mary. The Savior didn't call her mother. The Savior said, woman. In John's gospel, in fact, if I remember correctly, never once in the whole four gospels do we have where our Lord called Mary his mother. You take in chapter 2 of John, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Here he said to his mother, woman, behold thy son. And he said to the disciple, behold thy mother. I say, it's an amazing thing how our Lord took care of Mary, made provision for her even while he's hanging on a cross. Oh, the tenderness, the compassion, the thoughtfulness of our Savior. My Christian friend, I wonder how much of the Lord you really know in your own life. Isn't it wonderful to have a Savior who has put away our sins, who has fitted for his presence, brought us into his family as the children of God, but do you ever stop to think there's not an hour of the day goes by for what he cares for his own? Even in your tests, and your trials, your sorrows, he never leaves you. He understands you. He knows all about you. He knows all about your circumstances. You know, it's a wonderful thing for us Christians to realize this. I am sure today while I am talking to you, there are many who are facing prison and death in certain parts of our world where the gospel is hated and where a person is thrown into jail just because he loves Jesus. Yet they experience something of the presence of God that I'm afraid we American Christians have never known. The presence of God enveloping his people and giving them a peace and a strength and a fortitude possibly we don't know. Suffice to say, he has made every one of his children the object of his love. And I love this little picture here 
Well, the Lord took the time out while he's hanging on a cross of shame and all the suffering through which he's gone. He saw his mother. He saw Mary. And he said to her, Woman, behold your son. And he said to John, Behold your mother. And John was made responsible for the care of Mary from here on. I say again, it's a wonderful thing that the Lord Jesus Christ should do that. Now let us go on from there. Verses 28 down through verse 30. I'd like to take that last part. Verse 28 right down through verse 30. Here we come to an amazing portion of Scripture. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar. They filled a sponge with vinegar, put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. I'd like to just stop here for a little while. Knowing in verse 28, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, there was only one thing left, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. And the soldiers took the, uh, a vessel of vinegar and they poured it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the vinegar, he said, it's finished. Did you ever stop to think? And everything in the Bible, the Old Testament concerning the coming of our Savior to the earth as a Savior was completed. It's finished. That the scriptures might be fulfilled. I thirst. Now in verse 36 and 37, these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And again, another scripture said, they should look on him whom they pierced. What I'm trying to get to your heart is when he said it is finished, Every scripture, and I repeat this, every scripture prophetically given concerning our Lord and his death and suffering was completed. Whether you read the 22nd Psalm, the 69th Psalm, the 50th chapter of Isaiah, the end of 52, and all of 53. You take the 69th Psalm, 20 to 21. When our Lord said, I thirst, that the scripture might be full, they, they gave him vinegar. This was spoken of in the 69th Psalm, verses 20 and 21. Did the soldiers know a thing about Psalm 69? Not a bit, not a bit. Whether they knew it or not, the soldiers unwittingly fulfilled something that had been written a thousand years before, that when Jesus was going to be crucified, he was going to say, I thirst, and they were going to give him vinegar. And a thousand years after that statement was written, we find it fulfilled. Jesus, knowing that all things were accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Do you remember in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10? They shall look upon him whom they pierced. Revelation 1, 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also who pierced him. Later on, when you come down the chapter in verse 36, not a bone of him shall be broken. You have that in the 34th Psalm, the 20th verse. You know, my friend, 
the Romans made sure that he was dead. Now, I'm emphasizing that for this reason. There are those who believe that Jesus Christ was buried, but he wasn't really dead. He was in a coma. And that when the uh, stone was rolled away, the fresh air got in there and, and resuscitated him. The folly of men coming along with such an argument. The Romans made sure that he was dead. The centurion knew he was dead. The Jews made sure that he was dead. And I'm sure that Joseph and Nicodemus, when they wrapped him in the cloths and the spices and put him in the tomb, knew he was dead. For you remember later on, you find where in verse 31, uh, as they hid behind their religious ideas that the body should not be on the cross on the Sabbath day, and they besought Pilate that their legs might be crushed and then they, they, they crush the legs of the thieves to hasten death. When they come to Jesus, they found he was dead already. And they pierced his side with a spear. And out of it came blood and water. And John was the one who saw it. And he bare record. And his record is true. I'm just getting down to the idea. Every scripture was fulfilled. And John was an eyewitness that they did not break or they did not crush his bones as they did with the other two. John saw him take the spear, pierce the side of our Savior. He saw what came out, the blood and the water. What I'm trying to give to you today, my friend, is that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he finished every completed, fulfilled, every scripture concerning his first coming. And when there was none left, no detail left to be accomplished, Jesus cried out, it is finished. And he bowed his head in resignation and yielded up the spirit, which reminds me, of course, of John chapter 10, about the 18th verse where our Lord said, I have power to lay down my life. I have power to take it again. Now, what did Jesus mean when he said in verse 30, having received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. What was finished? I've just been saying one thing today. He fulfilled every detail of every scripture in the Old Testament prophesying his first coming. From his birth, to be born in Bethlehem of Judea, and died on a cross of shame with no eye to pity, and so on. But now when we come down to the question, it is finished, he did more, he did more than just fulfill Old Testament scripture. But when he said it is finished, he bowed his head in resignation. His head didn't drop. He bowed his head in resignation to the will of his Father and gave up the Spirit. As he could say, no man taketh my life from me. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. May I suggest that there are two special things that our Lord finished at the cross when he said it is finished, may I say, first of all, he finished the revelation of the Father to men. Do you remember in John chapter 14, we took up the fact where Philip said to him, show us the Father, and that's enough. Jesus said, have I been so long time with you, Philip, and don't you know me? He that has seen me has seen the Father. This wonderful revelation of relationship between the eternal, living, righteous, sovereign God and sinners who put their trust in him. Isn't it an amazing thing 
that you and I, born in sin, shaped in iniquity, should become members of the family of God, and that, the, that God should be revealed to us, not as one who was angry and full of wrath, but one who was righteous and who has made it possible for us to come into his family. And we can say, as Paul could say in Romans 8, 14, 15, we can cry, Abba, Father, Marvelous thing, isn't it? That we who are creatures of the dust, made in the image of God, just true. Sin came in and ruined the picture. God's made the provision for the children of wrath to be transformed into the children of God. That we who are afar off have been made nigh by the blood of Christ. And that we can call him our father. No wonder when the disciples said to him, teach us to pray the way John taught his disciples. Our Lord's answer was, Our Father. When you pray, say, Our Father, who art in heaven. Our Father. Isn't it wonderful that the eternal living God is our Father? He's not the Father of everyone. He's the Father of those who put their trust in him. You've got to belong to the family before you can call him Father. Doesn't it say someplace in the Bible where all the children of God Yes, but why don't you finish the verse? That's found in Galatians chapter 3, toward the end of the chapter. We are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And those who repudiate the Savior don't belong to his family. Don't you believe in the common fatherhood of God and the common brotherhood of man? No, Jesus didn't either. John chapter 8, he could say to the Jews of his day, you are of your father, the devil. Now, they had said, why, God is our father. Oh, no, if God were your father, you'd believe me, for I came out from the father. You are of your father, the devil. No, the moment a sinner accepts the Lord Jesus Christ, we become members of his family, and we can call him father. This, to my mind, is the wonderful revelation that Christ demonstrated while he was among men. He took his place in the human family and revealed to us just what God is like. And God is just like Jesus. Compassionate, tender, loving, understanding, gracious, merciful. You go on, name it, my friend. Read it and reread it and reread it. When he finds sinners, he forgave them and cleansed them. When he found those who are smitten with leprosy, he cleansed them. When he found those whose eyes were blinded, he opened their eyes. As many as touched him were made whole. Read his gracious words. Look at his marvelous example. This is what God is like. That's why he could say in John 14, do you remember in verse 11? Believe me, I am in my Father, and my Father is in me. Or else believe me for my very work's sake. I'm repeating what I gave to you in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. But I think of this, I can't help but realize that when our Lord Jesus cried out, it is finished, he gave to us the revelation of the Father. And have you ever noticed? Men oppose the Savior, and yet the human race has never been able to produce, in 1900 years, has not been able to produce one just like Jesus. Unsaved man or woman, you think about it. 
the world has never produced anyone else just like Jesus. With all our education, with all our scientific research, with all our books and so forth and so on, we haven't been able to produce another Jesus. There wasn't anyone like him from Adam to Christ. There was none like him. There's been none like him since. He was God manifest in the flesh. And if I want to know what the heart of God is like, I'm going to look at Jesus. And when he said it's finished, he had given to us the revelation, not only of the character of God, but of the heart of God. He loves men. He loves women. My friend, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, why don't you do that? Do you want to know God? Do you mean business? God means business. God is real. He wants you to know him. He's made provision for you to know him. And I would urge you, my friend, to accept him today. And he said, He that cometh to me, I will on no account turn him away, cast him out. He will receive you right now if you will just put your trust in him as your Savior. Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.